All right, today is March something or other. Here we go. Literally three seconds into the podcast, and you know already I'm unprepared. Whatever, this is the QTR podcast. We take pride in being unprepared and not knowing that we're... Somebody wrote on my blog the other day, the disclaimer says it all. They were taking exception with my something I said in one of my theses, and they said, the disclaimer says it all. And my disclaimer basically says, look, I don't know shit. And so I'll offer that same disclaimer now. Hello. Uh... I don't even know what I'm talking about. I feel like Joe Biden. Maybe I've got early onset uh, cognitive issues. Anyways, <laughs> 40 seconds of just bullshit so far. 45 seconds now of just drool, just audio diarrhea. This is the QTR Podcast. Welcome to the show. This podcast, like all of my podcasts, brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout those people out right now, then we'll get started. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only company that I order my gold and silver from. They turn around my orders very quickly. I have never had a service issue with them. They've been in business for a decade. They've done over $3 billion in sales wonderful people to do business with and all of my listeners by the way that use jm bullion love them i have yet to have somebody come back to me with a horror story about them or even a complaint and so they must be doing something right of course they are they're supporting the podcast hi (laughs) no but seriously i think my uh my listeners like them, I like them, and uh, you know, if you're interested in gold and silver bullion, and this would be the time to be interested in my personal opinion, which by the way means nothing because I don't know what I'm talking about, but if you did decide upon your, uh, in your on your own accord without any help at all from me, because I am not an investment advisor that gold and silver might be worthwhile to look into, you can email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Of course, you can always go to the website, but Laura is there too, specifically for QTR podcast listeners. She will help you out in trying to find any gold or silver bullion that you want, uh, and she can answer any questions that you have. Perhaps it's your first time. Perhaps you just have questions about the weather. I don't know. I'm sure Laura would help you out with whatever you need. My friends over at JM Bullion, love them. Link is in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Doomberg. Doomberg is one of my new favorite substacks, although really not that new anymore. I think probably been around for a year at this point. Uh, Doomberg looks at the markets through a skeptical Austrian lens. I love what they write about. They have been spot on with a lot of developments in energy and commodities over the last year. They have ascertained a uh, incredible readership. I think 20 or 25,000 subscribers already. It is 100% free to read. The information is good. The write-ups are great. Uh, check out my friends over at Doomberg. That link is in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my dear friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and other assorted people who have IQs that are roughly double mine uh, to talk about, which really isn't saying much. You, know, you, you could probably double mine and still be in the double digits. <laughs> Um, anyways, George has teamed up with some very smart people to help you guys figure out how to preserve your fuck. I just spilled the fucking coffee all over me. God damn it. One second. All over the fucking desk. All right, I'm back. Sorry, I had to do a mop-up duty there. Uh, George Gammon. Right, that's what I was talking about. Preserving wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. Look, George is very smart. And, uh, I just did a debate with him about Russia and the Ukraine situation. I find myself coming around to a lot of what George said. 
Uh, either way, he comes by it honestly. He supports civil discourse and dialogue. His platform is incredible. They have a forum where they help uh, their readers and members really communicate with each other. They have model portfolios that I have personally found very helpful in the past. They do live question and answer sessions, what seems like 150 times a week. George puts out something like 2,000 podcasts a day. I can't even keep up with his shit on my Apple podcast. But anyways, uh, if you're looking for some uh, more intricate analysis with less dick and fart jokes, you can turn me off and go on over to see George Gammon. Check out his platform, Rebel Capitalist Pro. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room. The Steam Room is really the OG piece of software for tracking unusual options activity. You know, this is something that everybody does now, right? Everybody tracks unusual options activity. They think that it is, uh, you know, it's kind of become a standard with a lot of different services, I noticed. But let me tell you something. Back in 2012, when I got started, nobody was doing that shit with the exception of Sang Lucci. And that was pretty much like what their business was. The Their software has evolved over the last decade. They've done, that's the microwave going off because I'm fucking microwaving another cup of coffee because I just, I had to microwave, I just spilled my hot coffee on myself. So I had to take my backup coffee, which has gotten cold because it's from earlier this morning and I had to microwave it. It's just like, it's the it's the slums here. It really is. Uh, Sang Lucci, and we're going to get through this this morning. I swear to God, enter my two-factor. Go fuck yourself. Hold on one second. Let's see the code. Here it is, the old six digits, so I can shout out the old patrons, because I didn't do it last time, and everybody got upset. Okay. Um, the Steam Room, wonderful piece of software. Nothing better to track options activity and flow coming into the relatively illiquid options market that oftentimes can help guide people on how moves in the equities markets are going to happen. There's a lot of people that get really lucky in the options market, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, At least that would be the defense that they use uh, when contacted by the SEC, I'm sure. (laughs) But either way, the, uh, the Steam Room is a beautiful piece of software by the guys that have been doing it longer than anybody else, and that's Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. Everybody I just shouted out are dear friends of mine. They will hook you up, give you free trials, and whatever you want. Their links are in my podcast description. Contact them directly. Tell them QTR sent you, and they will make sure that you get whatever it is that you want. I promise. By the way, if they don't, please don't come back to me and complain because I have other things to do. With that being said, I want to shout out some of my newest patrons, people like Nathan Birchfield, Jason Koch, James Elam, Tommy Figs, and Nick Westwater. I see you guys. Thank you so much. Todd Lorman, Matt Miller, and Justin Reynolds, Brett Moore, Joe Dierte. Thank you so much. And some patrons that have been with me for a while. These people have been contributing and supporting the podcast for some time now. Dermon McGonagall, thank you so much. Uh, Jordan Weaver, I still appreciate you very much. Jill is in the house. I don't know if you want me to say your last name, so I won't. Uh, my friends over at uh, Q, thank you very much. Not the uh, I don't think it's the Q that you know has been banned from social media. I think it's a different Q. Uh, but anyways, thank you guys so much. Matt Tackett, thanks, brother. RLT and James Malloy, I see you guys. All right, without further ado, now that I've wasted time saying nothing, dumped burning hot coffee on my crotch like some kind of fucking circus sideshow, why don't we get on with the interview and actually do something this podcast? How does that sound? All right, super excited today to have my buddy Andy Schechtman with me. He is the CEO of Miles Franklin Precious Metals and uh, becoming a good buddy of mine. You know, honestly, when I saw all the... uh, 
all the crap that happened with uh, the uh, nickel futures, I immediately wanted to speak to him. And I realized that I haven't talked to him in quite some time. And now with all these developments happening overseas, and especially with my uh, argument that I've been making about Russia and China potentially wanting to kind of bifurcate the global monetary system and start their own, uh, there was really nobody that I thought would be better to ask uh, than Andy. And so what's going on, man? Happy to have you. You're too kind, Chris. You're too kind, brother. I appreciate it very much. And, you know, in reading what you're writing these days, it's a lost art. You know, I started in this industry long before the Internet, and the way we communicated was by uh, writing and by newsletters. And uh, you're, the what you're writing resonates so much with me. And I think what, what you are hypothesizing um, uh, certainly travels down the logic road. And, and something really that I've been talking about and thinking about for quite some time, Chris, so... Yeah, I think we're our, our our views on what's happening and where we're heading to lines up with great symmetry. So I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm um, more than happy to uh, to chat, and I um, hope you're doing well, buddy. It's good to hear your voice. I am. I'm doing great, but for the fact that I prepared for this interview, as my listeners who heard the introduction will know, by dumping scalding hot coffee directly on my crotch, uh, right, <laughs> right, but which is why when you tried to call me like six times, I didn't pick up. Um, but you know, everything's better now, which is good. And, That's uh, good. so hopefully we can move forward here and actually produce some, uh, analysis. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> let me ask you first. All right. Let's talk yeah. about, I guess let's talk about what the hell just happened, uh, in the, uh, in London with nickel and how they halted trading with nickel. Uh, can you explain that to my listeners and also explain whether or not you think that's possible in the uh, gold and silver market? Well, I mean, I think it's it's very possible when you when you have large entities that think it's wise to short commodities in a commodity bull market. Um, the fact that the, the exchanges allow for uh, circuit breakers to halt trading and for commercial banks to come in and rescue them is is really very emblematic of where we have been for quite some time when you look at silver you could argue something like that almost just happened recently where the uh, number of ounces in the registered category in comex and silver is uh, was was almost half of what the open interest was uh, the day before uh, delivery for the march contract and many people believe that jp morgan came in and rescued uh, the silver market to avoid the exact same type of thing, the short squeeze, the, the, uh, the, the price going parabolic. And, you know, this is what put Bear Stearns out of business, Chris. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to um, the conversation between Chris Marcus from Arcadia Economics and Bart Chilton. For your listeners out there, I strongly suggest it. It's one of the most, really one of the most enlightening interviews I've ever heard in 32 years of, of being in this industry where Bart Chilton more or less admits everything that had ever happened uh, with uh, Bear Stearns being put out of business when silver spiked to $21. You could argue that was from, from 12 to 21. Similar to what we saw in nickel, it put one of the largest commercial banks in the world out of business. And Bart Chilton admits this, talks about J.P. Morgan inheriting the short position 
talks about the fact that they were told to pare down their short position and, in fact, increased it. Uh, talks about the fact that he told his superiors to prosecute them, that they were in violation of antitrust law and of their agreement, and was told to back down because it was a political decision. We are getting close to that type of moment, the, that seminal moment where we cross the Rubicon. And and I think Silver is 100% in the same boat as Nicholas. And when you look at, a, at an asset that is massively demanded in industry, uh, in particular, the difference that I see between nickel and uh, and silver is that they both share a massive demand in industry, and you need it to make certain products in industry. It is inelastic. It is indispensable. The difference is is that silver has a duality in demand to it that you don't see in just about any other right. commodity in the world, and that is the the renaissance globally that we've seen in monetary demand. So yeah, you know what, Chris, I think we're a lot closer to that moment, that short squeeze, that force majeure, that moment where the realization is that the paper price is leveraged so much that if an entity stands for delivery, a large enough entity stands for a large enough delivery that you have that moment, that short squeeze moment that very, very quickly in silver would create a haltage uh, and a massive intervention, or the shit hits the fan in a big, big, big way, and similar to what we saw in nickel. Well, explain to my listeners who don't know what happened with nickel. Explain what happened as a result of the short squeeze. Explain, you know, explain what happened to the price. Uh, explain it to somebody that that doesn't know what we're talking about. Yeah, so you know, there the the there's a large short position. The price starts to rally. The price shoots straight up and puts tremendous strain on the entities that are short, go straight to the moon, the price did, halt trading, and you have J.P. Morgan and the government come in and rescue these entities uh, to more or less bail them out with available supply. You know, the thing of it is this, is that the, the market, the COMEX market is believed to be a market that is backed by physical, but the leverage that we see on COMEX enables entities to, to speculate, to gamble place short positions uh, to make money. And when there is a massive rush to accumulate nickel or silver or whatever the commodity is, and entities that stand for delivery or are pushing the price up for whatever reason and catches these short positions uh, off guard, the price starts to spike and it's enough leverage to put companies out of business, to break the whole exchange, to create a force majeure, to create an environment where, uh, you know, you can lose unlimited on a short position. And that's the thing people don't understand is that these companies think they're smarter than the market, that they can uh, push the price down, create a perception of reality that allows them to speculate and make lots of money and really defying and disabling market fundamentals and dynamics because the um, the 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 leverage that we find in the paper derivatives is enough to really create its own narrative in price. But when the market forces start to overwhelm the manipulation of the short position, the price spikes and those short positions immediately go parabolic the other way and risk not only blowing up the exchange, blowing up the companies that are shorting the banks or the entities that are shorting them, but it's enough to disrupt the entire commodity complex, the entire COMEX exchange, and expose it for what it really is, a scam. 
the, the leverage that we're seeing in just about every commodity traded is extraordinary. And when you look at silver, it's, it's got the largest concentrated short position of any commodity ever traded on the COMEX, magnitudes of what you saw in nickel. So if what we're seeing in nickel is enough to create a haltage of trading and uh, a, an emergency bailout by J.P. Morgan, again, to the rescue, um, it will be that in spades with silver when this happens. And I, I really do think that, you know, for a long time I thought it would be impossible to, to see this type of action in silver. But I think there is a realization uh, that silver not only is indispensable in industry, but the monetary realization is enough to where the physical demand, I truly do believe, has the ability to overwhelm the market. You sure. look at a bank like... Sure. Uh, Bank of America, who is short 800 million ounces in silver right now, uh, that short position is enough to put them out of business. Where does that number come from? 800 million ounces short. Yeah, is, where do you get that from? That information has been uh, uh, bantered about by uh, Ted Butler for the past, uh, I don't know, two months. He's been talking about a short position of 800 million ounces Who's in Ted silver. Butler? Ted Butler is probably the foremost expert in COMEX pricing in the United States. Okay. And so uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, an allegation. It is an allegation. No, it's more than an allegation. He's been able to show the numbers on the, uh, the reports that come out. I'm not exactly sure the exact name of it. I've read it 12 times and I can't think of, it. I believe it's called the uh, over the counter position, the OTC. They're able to see it. They're able to see when he's really good at being able to put all the pieces together. He puts the pieces together of of their balance sheet that is public along with the positions, right. the short positions on COMEX. And it is very easy to see that it is Bank of America short so 800 million dollars. It's it's his estimate based on his analysis. 100%. Okay. And I just I want to tell you that in all the years because we, we a couple of things have been thrown around already and I want to make sure that, you know, we're differentiating between what what is 100% undeniably provable and what is an estimate based on analysis the other thing i want to ask you about real quick while we're on this thread is um can you just let me know how jp morgan stepped in and bailed out the nickel market because i didn't know of that yeah well i you know again the the articles that you read are very opaque but they basically said that jp morgan came in and rescued them so I don't know if J.P. Morgan has a large stash of nickel or came in and took the other side of the trade. I'm not quite sure. But the article that I just read the other day said that J.P. Morgan came in to the rescue uh, on the nickel market. Uh, and so I don't know if that means providing liquidity uh, or taking the other side of the trade or whatever it may be. But nonetheless, uh, that is what the article said. So, you know, the, the, the information that that I read only comes from very, very, very credible sources. And yet, you know, it's very complex. The The derivatives market, the COMEX market is incredibly complex. But um, from what I was told and from what I read, it was J.P. Morgan that came into the rescue once again. So as far as Ted Butler is concerned, um, he is by far, in all the years I've done this, there is no one even close to, to his a level of analysis on COMEX. Okay, and, so let's go back to silver then. So now Ted Ted Butler's analysis says that Bank of America has this huge, you know, 800 million ounces short in silver. And then where were you going from there? 
So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, you look at, at a day two days ago where the price was up 80 cents. It cost them $640 million because they're short 800 million ounces. They are fighting the rise in silver. The, the fact that you have these the ability to short these commodities, 800 million ounces is as much as they mine in an entire year. The rationale that these these banks employ borders on stupidity and idiocy. But the more you think about it, it has to be acknowledged and or even condoned by the government. It has to be. I think rising gold and silver are the canary in the mine shaft. And when you see a bank like J.P. Morgan pay a $920 million fine for suppressing the metals market two years ago, uh, and, and yet they made a billion dollars on their metals desk the exact same year, when you see... Bart Chilton on Chris Marcus's show say he went to his superiors and told them they needed to be prosecuted and was told to back down because it was a political decision. You have to understand that rising gold and silver lifts up the skirt of the fiat system and exposes what's underneath. And I think this is really what we're talking about is that there is a concerted effort to, at least in terms of silver and gold, as a monetary metal. Look, what happened in nickel was a speculation that went awry. Uh, and that I don't even know who it was that was speculating, but they were bailed out and the market bailed them out. Um, and as far as silver is concerned or as far as gold is concerned, it's a big deal because rising gold and silver really shine a light on the frailty of the whole fiat system, the whole Western system that I think is clinging to the last vestiges of its of its, you know, its its Keynesian experiment. So I think that the amount of effort that has been used to to suppress the price of gold and silver is really the Achilles heel of the whole system. And in the end, the only way that you can successfully manipulate a market, Chris, is to push it in the direction it is going. And, and I think the world realizes and is beginning to really realize that gold and silver isn't an investment. It's wealth. It's been wealth for 5,000 years outliving every pandemic, German hyperinflation, the Great Depression, and two world wars. And I think that acknowledgement, that understanding is starting to permeate much more into the mainstream and making it that much harder to hold back the market to the extent that two days before March delivery, there is twice the number of open interest contracts that could stand for delivery than there is silver available to be delivered on COMEX. So, are we getting close to that nickel moment, to that moment where the market blows up? Yeah, I think it's a lot closer than I ever thought possible. Well, what's the thought process behind an entity like one of these large investment banks? And let's just say that, you know, one of these large banks does have this massive short position in silver. What's the thought process behind doing that? I mean, everybody in the in the investing world sees you know, what you and I see, right? And whether they choose to accept it or not is, you know, one thing or another, but everybody sees that, you know, gold and silver, mostly thanks to, uh, you know, the the Bitcoin kind of revolution and because of the geopolitical tensions now are regarded as, you know, money. They're one of the, you know, this is why we see gold and silver spike on these geopolitical headlines. What's the thought process behind an investment bank that decides they just want to keep shorting the metals? I mean, it just doesn't seem like something that, anybody would do it, it, it to get themselves buried in over the, their heads with an irresponsible short on one of these metals at this point in time seems to be 
ridiculous. I, you'd wonder how what the thought process would be behind doing well, that. Well, I mean, you saw J.P. Morgan. You saw, if you listen to the, the interview. Now, Bart Chilton told this to, to Chris Marcus. He was the, the former head of the CFTC. Uh, and he came on and told Chris about all of this, about... Let me just tell the story because it's important to answer your question. So sure. Bart Chilton comes on to Chris's show, former CFTC governor, and he tells the story. He says, Bear Stearns goes out of business because silver goes to 21. They were on the wrong side of that trade. They call in Jamie Dimon, Hank Paulson, and the president, and they call him in and they say, you need to take this position. Uh, Jamie Dimon says, we'll take it, but we'll be in violation of position limits, COMEX position limits. And they said, fine. You have a certain amount of time to pare it down. Okay, fine. Takes the position. At the end of the, the, the time frame, Bart Chilton, who is the head of the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, says to his superiors, they didn't pare down their short position. In fact, they've increased it. They need to be prosecuted. They are in violation of our agreement and violation of antitrust law. They're manipulating the metals market. He was told to back down. It was a political decision. Bart Chilton died one week later. Not shitting you. He died one week later. Now, they say it was cancer, but, you know, uh, you start to wonder a little bit when you speak out against the most powerful commercial bank in the world. When we look at Bank of America shorting 800 million ounces, I mean, the obvious answer is they think they can make a ton of money. They Rumored, short it in, rumored in, to be shorting $800 million. Well, I'll tell you something. If you if you read Ted Butler, he more or less has... Has it pegged? Is that you're right? It is a rumor. Right. But I'll I just want to say, based on rumor, based on estimates, yes. and based on analysis, I don't want to yes. report these Correct. things. As, okay, as that's fact. fine. I'm good with that. Okay. I'm good with that. But he can show you the, the their balance sheet versus the position limits uh, on the market. And sure. he's able to show you that it, it's them. So rumor. But nonetheless, <laughs> the, the rumor, the reason they would do it, first and foremost, is, look, you short the price in anticipation of – buying it back at a lower price because they've had the ability to suppress the market by dumping tremendous amounts of contracts onto the market to push the price down. And this has been what they, you know, this has really been the playbook for, for quite some time where commercial banks suck in the speculators, push the price up, short the hell out of the, the market, drive down the price, collect the premium on the options that expire worthless, rinse, right. wash and repeat. Um, but, the other end of the story is if you saw Bart Chilton admit this to Chris, that he was told to back down, that the short position that J.P. Morgan maintained was a political decision, you have to wonder, you know, when they paid the $920 million fine, they had to promise to not short the market anymore. In fact, J.P. Morgan is net long. Ted Butler surmises that they have 1.2 billion ounces of physical silver in their house account, uh, and over 40 million ounces of gold, that they have used the manipulated prices to do this. They are net long in the futures market. Bank of America, on the other hand, perhaps picked the baton up where J.P. Morgan left off. Uh, and so are they being told it's okay to do this? Because rising gold and silver signal a whole lot more than rising lumber uh, and, and rising commodities. Sure. It, it, is a, it is a direct... Uh, reflection on the weakness of the dollar. Yeah, and so it's, all it's, I it's odd when you look at the other commodities. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's odd when you look at other commodities, when you look at lumber, when you look at wheat, um, <clears throat> and you know you start to think that those moves are products 
of the devaluation of the dollar, right? They're products of the loss of purchasing power of the dollar. So it is a little befuddling to see these kind of powder keg style moves in these other commodities, yet gold and silver just kind of mull around. You know, they're just kind of milling around still, which is it's just so odd. Well, that's the whole point of it, is that uh, it, 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 would, it would really expose um, just how weak the currencies really are. Look, you know, if you, if you go back and look at the, the, the linear progression of events that we've seen over the past several years, it is a massive accumulation of gold in particular by the central banks. Um, repatriation of gold from the New York Fed and the Bank of England, reclassification of gold as a tier one reserve asset by the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, and so, you know, I think that the big, big money, uh, while the rhetoric and the price speak otherwise, have been using that as cover to really reposition and de-dollarize ahead of the masses. And so, you know, I think that in the end, again, you can only manipulate a market for so long holding against the tide of demand before you get run over by it. Bear Stearns proved that. Um, how does it end up? I don't know, but I think we'll see a nickel moment like we're seeing in silver. And I, or excuse me, a, a silver moment like we're seeing in nickel. And I think you'll see it in spades when it really takes off. Yeah, and this is, you know, what Ron Paul always says, right? The free market is always going to win out. It, it might take time, but ultimately if the demand is there, and it's tough to think of a situation where, demand for gold and silver could be stoked more than it is right now. I want to talk to you about what you think uh, is going to happen with Russia and China. You know, I've written that I think the two of them are going to pair up. And I've written months ago before any of this shit happened that I thought China was going to back its digital currency with gold because it makes sense. Now the idea that the two of them will pair up and, you know, back their respective currencies with uh, gold and you know, Russia will transact in the ruble only. Um, maybe, you know, maybe they'll transact in gold. Um, China possibly will transact in its uh, gold-backed digital currency. China will invest in Russia. So, you know, the the Western countries that aren't able to invest in Russian oil and gas now at bare-bottom prices, I'm sure the Chinese are coming in and investing in those strategic assets that will pay off for them uh, over the course of a very long time. So I want to get your take on the the conflict now, the uh, economic sanctions that have been put in place, and what you see the future of the global economy and the global monetary system looking like. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the U.S. has weaponized the dollar uh, as the global reserve currency. It should be available to everyone, not who we say deserves to be part of it. We are pushing the Russians into the arms of the Chinese. Let me t show you the pieces that the Chinese have put in place. And I think it's really important to talk about strategy. Uh, the U.S. plays checkers. We're thinking about the next move. The Chinese play chess. They're thinking about four or five moves. Agreed. Ahead. And they, have, Agreed. they have been positioning themselves for a very long time. We can talk about the um, Shanghai Gold Exchange, number one. This is a an entity that has delivered 90 times more gold than the COMEX market has in the last few years, it would be a replacement for the COMEX. Many people think a better reflection of the COMEX because it is largely a cash and carry market void of much in the way of futures. 
Number two, we have the Chinese petro yuan bond. This is a bond that they will pay for oil from countries like Iran and natural gas from countries like Russia. And it's a bond that is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. This is why we've seen 90 times more gold delivered as these countries that face increasing sanctions by the U.S. will sell their oil or natural gas for uh, their energy for the petro yuan bond and convert it immediately into gold off the Shanghai Gold Exchange. This sidesteps and usurps the U.S. petrodollar yep. settlement. And they put that in place years ago, right? They put that in place in like 2014 or something, right? This is correct. Uh, then you you take a look at the, um, the, the Belt Road Initiative, of course, which, you know, is connecting – 75% of human population between Asia and Africa using largely the Chinese digital yuan. Uh, and so you have a, a country that is um, indoctrinating 75% of human population into a new currency. Uh, you, you start to, to see these pieces being put into place. They're the largest accumulators of gold in the world. They're the largest producers of gold in the world. Uh, and they just came out even after Russia invaded Ukraine, saying that Russia is their number one strategic partner. They have deals put in place that usurp the dollar in energy settlement for years to come. So when you talk about what could happen, I've said for a very long time that it is my belief that the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, will embrace a new digital currency and will peg it to gold. And that is how you win the game. Uh, and I think ultimately that is what their intentions are with the veracity of the gold held or denoted on a distributed ledger. And so you have a, a, uh, a, a set of, oh, let's not forget uh, one more piece, by the way, the SIP system, CIPS, Cross Interbank Payment <laughs> System. Yes, sir. And the Cross Interbank Payment System is what usurps the SWIFT. Exactly. So you put it all together. You have a, 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 a system to usurp SWIFT, a system to usurp the petrodollar, a system to usurp the COMEX market. Uh, and the intention of using a new digital currency, pegging it to gold, uh, and using 75% of human population to understand this. So what does it mean? I think it hastens the demise of the dollar. The dollar... Uh, will, I think, begin to precipitously lose value, and it will happen as soon as tomorrow, because tomorrow is when the sanctions go into place. Russia is the largest exporter of oil in the world. What you have effectively done is lop off a massive demand for settlement in dollars. And a country like the U.S. that has no intentions of slowing down the printing presses. So you don't need to be a made, uh, 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 mass, have a master's degree in economics to understand that the more of something you produce with the less demand means the price has to fall. A and as the price falls, you will have to see interest rates rise to compensate for the loss of purchasing power. So, you know, when you talk about the Great Reset, Chris, if there ever is such a thing, Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset, I mean, we're really, you could you could write a book from right here or a movie, a screenplay, from right here, how the Great Reset happens. The Great Reset happens is, you know, let's not forget the, the deal that Russia signed with Saudi Arabia and Nigeria. 
uh, to protect or to a joint military cooperation agreement. They did this the day we left Afghanistan with our tail between the legs. Uh, and, and what is given the dollar its reserve status is the protection of the Saudi kingdom. So you could write a book and say OPEC comes out and says we're taking um, other currencies for gold and or excuse me for oil and maybe even gold. Uh, you have the BRICS nations announce a gold-backed digital currency that they're all uniting. And, and overnight, you see a massive dumping of dollars at the worst possible time when inflation is already roaring. The inability of the Fed to hold back that global tide of dollar selling, pushing interest rates parabolic, blowing up the three pillars of wealth in this country, stocks, bonds, and real estate. The dollar collapses, the stock market implodes, the bond market absolutely craters, and the real estate market uh, is in ashes at the exact same time. There's your great reset. Could it happen? I don't know. I'll tell you that I could seriously make a screenplay in about nine minutes from where we are right now if the wrong buttons are pushed if the wrong steps are made or the wrong choices play out yeah you can really draw a straight line now and this is you know what i wrote in one of my pieces the other day uh i can't remember what i was writing about but you know i laid it out and i was like man you can lead a fucking horse to water uh in this situation if you're a gold investor i mean it, i don't understand how you know how it isn't clear to see on a global stage over the course of the last decade, really, how the de-dollarization has happened. I mean, you know, look, back in 2018, I remember when Russia, you know, that headline, I remember when it crossed the Bloomberg terminal, that they weren't going to transact in dollars anymore, you know. And, a, you know, me and you probably talked about it in 2019. I don't know. You know, I probably talked about it with somebody and probably just said, ah, you know, that's probably, you know, the difference is that these guys, they play the long game. You know, China especially. They play the long game, which we just don't do. I mean, and if you need proof of that, just look at our monetary policy. We're incapable of looking at the consequences of our actions today that might occur, you know, years from now, even months from now. And so all the pieces are in place for the two of them to challenge the U.S. dollar. And uh, and it just seems like nobody really understands that. Um, I'm interested to kind of see see whether or not your prognostication about, you know, this happening as soon as tomorrow uh, could come to fruition. Because at, at some point, you know, something will break in the gold market, even if it's not a, uh, an actual break, there will be a psychological aha moment. Uh, a headline will cross the wire and we're getting close today. You know, they're talking about we're only going to pay our debts in rubles. Right. And so I wrote a week or two ago, hey, what if they only accept rubles for Russian oil? What if they only accept gold for Russian oil, which, of course, is a thought that I stole from Luke Groman on uh, Palisades Gold Radio, but whatever, I attributed it to him. And it's just, you know, the pieces are right there. It's just that question of when are they going to flip the switch? When's that one headline going to come across that, you know, says China will back, considering backing the digital yuan with gold or Russian considering pegging the ruble to gold? I mean, it's not that... It's not that crazy. You, it feels like you can reach out and fucking touch it right now, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely it does. And, and you know, I'm never one to go out and say tomorrow is when it happens. But what I'm saying is tomorrow when the sanctions go into place, you could argue uh, in this, in this uh, screenplay we write that it is the beginning of the end for the U.S. dollar. It is what pushes the Russians and the Chinese closer together into implementing 
a strategy like that. Right. And, you know, I think that the reason that people don't see it, Chris, is that uh, it's that most people are not able to see past price. Correct. And it's very obvious to the people pulling the strings that all you have to do is manipulate the price uh, and, and you can create a perception of reality. It's like buying a car that looks beautiful. You never lift up the hood to see the engine is sputtering uh, and has a squirrel on a, on a wheel, you know, as the drive shaft. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we are right now in the respect that, you know, you could make an argument that when you see a country like the United States, that is when you factor in unfunded liabilities, Medicare, Medicaid, government, uh, military pensions, social security, on top of a $30 trillion debt, we were a hundred plus trillion in the hole. We have the lowest interest rates in human history in order to mitigate the, the pain of that debt. We are an insolvent country that is destroying the value of our currency, uh, and yet gold and silver haven't expressed themselves. Now, this right. is the argument <clears throat> that the mainstream has. Well, if it can't go up now, when will it ever? The point of it is, is that when it goes up, it will be the nickel moment. The ability to hold down the price through shorting, just like in the nickel market, will be overwhelmed by the demand, just like the London gold pool was. And and again, whenever you have a manipulation that is done for unpure reasons, they fail. It's just a matter of how long it takes for this to to play out. And 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 when the people finally realize, and this is why so few few people really succeed in investing, because they follow the herd. And it's very difficult to stand out on a limb and trust your intuition and your gut to trust mother nature, trust mathematics uh, and say, you know, I'm right. And the way that you do that is by accumulating long instead of holding short, which it, which really uh, exposes you to unlimited loss and volatility and leverage. You accumulate long and you do what the big money has been doing. And that is accumulating under the cover of manipulation and under the cover of bullshit rhetoric that all comes back to talking about the dollar and the U.S. economy as being so strong. Who in their right mind would buy (laughs) U.S. treasuries right now paying 2%, 10-year treasury paying 2% with 8% inflation, which doesn't even include food, energy, and housing. You got $7 gas in California. You got houses that have doubled or tripled over the last year. And you got a box of strawberries and two steaks cost me a 200 bucks at any grocery store in the country. And yet they're not included in the CPI. <laughs> so, you know, if you had 15% inflation, according to John Williams, I believe it. But even looking at the eight, seven and a half or 8% clip that we have with 2% on the 10 year treasury, your negative 6% real yield, uh, we are, there's nowhere left to go in terms of, being able to hold down interest rates other than going nominally negative. And the world reserve currency cannot do that. Right. So if they raise rates, when you have 8% inflation, the only way that you can stop inflation is to raise the federal funds rate equal with the level of inflation at 8% interest rates. You would have 10 or 11 or 12% on a 30 year mortgage. You'd blow up the real estate market at 8% interest rates. The bond market is kneecapped by 80%. Everything breaks. Yeah. And at 8% interest rates with the rule of 70 seconds tells you that in nine years, your principal doubles, who would buy securities at these over leveraged 
sky-high valuations when they could buy a U.S. Treasury, which will double your principal in nine years without supposedly, question, you know, quote-unquote risk. But this is that seminal moment. This is where you write the story where if the Chinese pull this, if the Chinese come out and say, uh, we're backing the new digital yuan with gold, if the Russians say we're only, and what Luke Roman said was convincing as hell, you know, if they do come out and say we're only going to take oil, oil payments in gold, period. Um, and they're the largest exporters of gold in the world. Gold will go higher than anyone thinks possible in a matter of moments. Yeah. And when you talk about pegging it to a new world reserve currency, it would have to go to those levels to enable them to be able to maneuver. I don't think you'll ever see a currency ever again that is convertible into gold because History has shown when you have a convertible currency, people convert. Right. Just like the Gaul did in France and started draining the U.S. Treasury of all of their gold. But it will be pegged, and I think the role of the distributed ledger will be to show the veracity of it. Right. So, uh, you know, look, I, I think that we're closer to this stuff happening, Chris, than I ever could have dreamed. And a lot of for, – for years I've been talking about it, but never believed it in my soul – that it's actually going to happen the way I do right now. Yeah, well, you know, look, the first thing that people need to do is they need to understand the whole system. And that's where you lose 70% of the people out there. You know, they just don't understand how the global monetary system works. They don't understand how, you know, monetary policy works. They don't understand how the global economy works. And they just don't get these things. And so you have to have that breadth of knowledge to consider the scenario that we're talking about. Once you do understand it, or even in my case, just understand the basics, right? I'm obviously not an expert on it, but I understand the basics of how things work. And then a scenario like this becomes a distinct possibility, which is why people like you and people like myself have been talking about it for years, because it just something just doesn't sit right about the arrogance of our monetary policy and this delusional idea that, you know, debt never comes due and we're never going to have to pay the tab that the country's running up and we can, you know, import everything and export dollars in perpetuity. It's just fucking dumb. It just doesn't make sense, you know? And so we start to kind of sniff around the possibilities of this happening. But now with this invasion and specifically the economic sanctions that we are putting on Russia, it feels like, you know, if you understand what's going on, like you said, I, you know, never believed it in my soul. To me, it feels like I can reach out and touch the moment, the psychological moment where things are going to change. The entire country, okay, our entire country. And really, most of what we know about monetary policy and economics, most of what we think we know, most of what academia thinks they know about it, is an elephant, Andy. And that elephant is balanced, okay, on one foot on the tip of a toothpick, all right? And that toothpick is the U.S. dollar's reserve status, okay? That is the only thing. That has prevented a full-scale meltdown and default in our. If any other country in the world did, you know, say, you know, look at Venezuela or something, right? Like, what? What if an emerging market country tried to run their economy and monetary policy the way that we did, or the way that we're doing? You know, it would be over in a matter of days. And so that elephant is there. The elephant in the room is there. It's been balanced 
oh so delicately on the fact that the U.S. has the reserve currency. And if that gets called into question, if somebody just flicks that toothpick out from underneath the elephant, that's the moment where I think the shit really hits the fan and you see, you know, look, I just wrote the other day about miners, okay, Andy? I'm looking at gold and silver miners, and I'm like, these fucking companies are printing money right now. Look, I understand their input costs are going up, you know, with the price of oil. I understand that, you know, but some of their costs are fixed, okay? And as spot moves higher, these companies are starting to generate more and more cash. And I look at these companies, and I'm like, you would have to be crazy not to want to have at least some exposure to the miners, and I, I can't believe how ridiculously low their price rate. What does that tell you? Here's a question for you. What does it tell you that, you know, the, the gold and silver miners, in at least in my crude opinion, have not caught up to the price of spot on either metal? Do you share that opinion? Well, I do. You know, speaking of the elephant, the people that understand mining shares and physical metal are the pimple on the ass of that elephant. And uh, although that pimple has certainly become a boil and is growing more and bigger, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would say to you that people just don't get it. They don't understand. Uh, if you took every mining share on the planet Earth and put them together in a market capitalization, it's less than that of Coca-Cola. The upside potential in mining shares is extraordinary. But here again, price, price, price. You know, show me what you've done for me lately. Yes, they've been doing good, but you know, the mining shares are manipulated as well. And when they, it's very, it's very, very easy to see that when they hit the price of gold, they'll hit the mining shares often a few hours or a day before. And um, I think here again, you have to understand that the, the, the commercial banks that are doing this manipulation and maybe at the behest of the, of the Western central banks um, realize that physical gold isn't just the only canary in the mine shaft. It's also, physical precious metals if you go back to the the great depression when the market crashed in 29 the number one performing stock on the entire u.s stock exchange was home stake mining and so when the shit hits the fan it's important to understand something and that is that when i started in this industry chris in 1990 makes me feel old as hell to even say that but when i started interest rates were were at um at nine percent on the uh, on, on the ten-year treasury, and you know, uh, you are, are are looking at a situation right now where um, I think people are going to wake up to the fact that back then bonds were risk-off, and when people got scared, they would transition their money out of equities, which was risk-on and move to risk off and interest rates at 9% were certainly an attractive safe vehicle for the US government securities to make people feel safe and secure uh, backed by the backed by the US government and so with interest rates pushed to where they are right now the inverse correlation between stocks and bonds which were was very prevalent back then uh, is has been severed and so there's a group out of Chicago that was purchased by Morningstar, the, the mutual fund rating agency called Ibbotson. And Ibbotson wrote a report basically saying that because of the low interest rates, stocks and bonds have lost their inverse correlation and a rising interest rate market kneecaps them both. And their, their conclusion was that the only inversely correlated market on the planet 
to the U.S. stock market would be precious metals. And so here again, the canary in the mine shaft, you got to step on it. But when it breaks, when you see gold over 2500 for an extended period of time, when you see silver over $30 and rising, when you see inflation continuing to erode the value of the dollar to start to damage the stock market, uh, to start to damage the perception of safety for the dollar and U.S. Treasury, if just 1% of that money across this country, realizing that 50% of every dollar that's ever been created in the history of this country was done in the last two years, the massive amount of money out there in search of safety will have nowhere to go but something like gold and silver. And in that moment where the market capitalization of the entire mining share industry is less than that of Coca-Cola, a very small allocation to a portfolio of mining shares can literally explode in value and be a life raft when everything else around you is imploding. The fact that most people are not able to make a decision when prices are attractive and only chase the market after the trend has been established is why most investors never do well. But I will tell you this, that while I look at gold and silver as cousins, I mean, excuse me, uh, mining shares, uh, in relation to physical gold and silver as cousins, they're very different. Mining gold, Physical gold and silver is the base of your financial pyramid. It is sta safe, stable, secure, has no counterparty risk. Mining shares, on the other hand, belong in the top 10% of your portfolio in a pyramid philosophy. But that top 10% can massively outperform the bottom 60 or 70% of your portfolio when this realization happens. And I think it will happen. And when it does, the flood of money from the hedge funds and, and all of the big money uh, in search of somewhere safe, something that is uh, inversely correlated to the equity market will be something spectacular to see. So the fact that they haven't taken off to the degree that we would expect is just more to me, uh, you know, credence to the fact that the, the, the establishment is really trying to hang on to the last vestiges of, of the U.S. dollar hegemony. And uh, I think, again, you see mining shares fly, you see gold and silver fly. It speaks volumes because it's interesting. You know, I've owned this company for 32 years, and I learned long ago that I don't really like talking about what I do with my friends. It's not good discussion at a, at a cocktail party when Andy the buzzkill comes in and starts talking about the death of the dollar and, <laughs> and all this shit. And so I learned long ago, in fact, the first article I ever wrote was called My Wife Likes to Go to Parties. And, and the article was basically, I was at a party long time ago. I sold my house in uh, 2004 at the peak of the market, put all my money into silver at nine bucks and rented. I ended up selling the silver for $43, turned 260000 into over a million and built my dream house. And it, it took six years. I told my wife it would only take one. But we were at a party, and, and a buddy of mine who played professional baseball just lambasting me. He looked like Mr. Clean, 6'3", bald and loud as hell, in front of the whole party. You're an idiot. Why would you do that? I could make more money gambling poker for you than putting it into silver. Why would you rent? There's so many great deals. And I learned on the way, and I just laughed. He was a good buddy of well, mine. Well, that, that should have been your sign that you were dead on balls accurate. I, well, and we got in the car, and my wife said, why did you let him do that to you? 
I said, look, if he was a client of mine, I would have put his ass in place. But do you like to be invited to parties? I said, because if I really got into it with him uh, in front of everyone, it's not something anyone ever wants to hear. And that that's really the moral of the story here is that you have to understand where we are. And if you don't, you can only save the world one person at a time, starting with yourself. Most people don't want to hear this shit, and they won't get it until it's way too late. And they think that the Fed will come in and rescue, that this dip in equities is just an opportunity to buy. Let me tell you one more quick story. The guy across the street from me here in Florida is the largest money manager in southern Florida. And I went out to dinner with him. He manages almost $2 billion. And I went out to dinner with he and his wife couple of weeks ago and I really just wanted to pick his brain I didn't even really want to talk about what I did asking him all sorts of questions and I said to him aren't you concerned about interest rates and and the possibility of them rising adversely affecting your equity positions he says to me honest to God he says Andy if it happens I'll just double down and buy more it's worked for the last 20 years yeah and it has that's that's just that's going to be the icing on the charred remains of the economic system as we know it people like that you know if if this if this transition to gold and silver takes place like we're talking about if russia pairs with china you know talk about it's it's exogenous to even systemic risk because it it is it's like the multiverse right it's another system right it's the definition of you know usurping the entire system as it exists and kind of recalibrating it. And so, you know, a, a guy who says something like that or a Kathy Wood that gets on TV and says, you know, I don't know how anybody couldn't uh, couldn't short could short innovation now. It's so un-American, you know, while her companies are pornographically overvalued and she clearly doesn't understand it. I mean, the people like that, they, they will just be the icing on the charred remains of the economy. And, and the fact that that guy manages $2 billion, you know, 10 years ago, would have frightened me, would have completely, you know, I would have went ballistic for an hour about it. Now I'm just, I got to fucking shrug because it's like, yeah, these are the fucking people managing billions of dollars. It's true. And Chris, I mean, honest to God, and I'm not kissing your ass here. I think the way you look at the world through your writing and through your, your podcast is so logical. It's so dead on, smart, straight. You don't have to be an economist to understand it, but the, the, the level of ignorance and, and, you know, just how naive the public has become makes it very difficult to try to be noble and help out your, your fellow brother. It just doesn't work. So all of these people that I'm friends with, well, they don't, I don't talk to them about it. And they'll all, all of these people who, who think they're wealthy with large 401ks and, and a house value that's gone to the moon. And, you know, when the, when the switch flips, it's over. You know, to talk about the fact that Russia signed a joint military cooperation agreement with Saudi Arabia and Nigeria and not to really understand what that means, to not even be broadcast to the public. Since 1974, it is the protection of the Saudi kingdom that has given the dollar its reserve status. You want to talk about chess pieces being put into place? You've got every single piece put into place from the digital currency to the ability to break or usurp COMEX to usurp the petrodollar, uh, to have a digital currency, to have a, a system that mirrors SWIFT and, and, and connecting over 75% of human population just between Asia and Africa. Forget about India, uh, Brazil. Uh, you know, you're talking, and Russia, you are talking the majority of the world um, 
you know, being incentivized and pushed to moving away from the dollar. And it's, it's, um, it's a whole lot bigger of a deal than, than anyone besides the pimple on the, the, the elephant of the ass us realize. And when it happens, uh, I won't take any joy in saying I told you so, but mathematically something of this ilk has to happen. And what is the fuse that lights it? You could argue pushing the Russians out of SWIFT is because it's going to incentivize Russia and China to get together and start to think about alternatives to the Western system. And, and you know, what country is going if, to think we're next? If they haven't been doing that for the last 10 years already together. Of course. And, and when you talk about a system that's built on assets and truth, uh, say what you want about the way that China and Russia runs their countries or their politics, you could argue gold is truth. Uh, and you find a system based upon that versus one based upon uh, inflation, deceit, and the ability to kick, be kicked out of a system on a whim on top of a system built on a mountain of debt, very quickly you'll see countries across the globe shed dollars. And when that moment happens, that's as, as quickly as you saw the price of nickel go parabolic, you'll see the price of the dollar move parabolically down. Yeah, and I don't want to kiss the ass of Russia or China, but, you know, this invasion and the reactions to these economic sanctions, just call it intuition, call it my non-professional opinion again, uh, their reaction to the economic sanctions and the move to invade Ukraine, uh, you know, this isn't Biden pulling out of Afghanistan. They didn't just, you know, think about it Friday and execute it on Saturday, right? I mean, I just have to think that they have been putting the pieces in place to be able to do something like this for years. You know, these guys think in uh, over the course of the long term, obviously Russia has been uh, contesting landing Ukraine for almost a decade now, or probably more than a decade. Uh, well, more than a decade, depending on how far back you want to go. But but obviously, like, so it's, it's not a new conflict. It's not a new issue. Um, and you would be foolish to think that there hasn't been some preparation put into place uh, to be able to blunt these blows. I mean, we know that Russia had the buy-in of China, I think, on this invasion. I think I read that. And if they didn't, uh, and I'm just talking shit, I would assume that they did. You know, they waited until the Olympics uh, ended. You know, all right. That's a nice gesture. Not only that, they knew, they, knew, they knew what our counter moves would be. They, right. Just like a master chess player. They know where we're going before we even do. And, and so... Could you say that this, and when I say could happen tomorrow, I don't mean you're going to see gold go to 5000 bucks tomorrow, but what I'm saying is that it is the impetus for that type of a move when you see a mass divestiture of dollars globally losing demand precipitously at the lowest interest rates in human history. The, the, the economic reality of it is that interest rates will have to rise, and in that, in that environment would rise precipitously. That's when you see the reset. That's when you see everything that has been leveraged to the hilt crater. That's when you see that the governments come in and issue a digital central bank currency. That's when you see the governments come in and enact gating of money markets and bail-ins of banks and, um, and, and usher in modern monetary theory and the whole new system begins. So could it happen? Yeah, I, I guess it could. And, you know, for the last two years, Chris, when people would talk about the Great Reset, I couldn't quite wrap my head up around it but when you look at 
at the pieces that are in place, it wouldn't take but something like that to usher that in very, very quickly. Well, look, I never even read The Great Reset, right? I know a lot of people probably give me shit about that because I talk about it all the time. I've read bits and pieces of what other people have written online. I've never picked up, you know, Schwab's book and read it because I don't feel like I need to. You know, to me, it's a very obvious situation. It's an obvious quagmire that the global economic system and the, the, the monetary system of the countries that, you know, call the shots uh, in the world of fiat have gotten themselves into. The quagmire is very obvious. And so call it whatever you want. Uh, and you can get pissed off about whatever social credit scores or people not owning private property or whatever. But it's obvious that some drastic action will eventually have to be taken. I think that, you know, I, I, I can't think of a catalyst that could move along the, uh, you know, that could kind of uh, create a tailwind behind necessitating some type of global monetary reset. I can't think of a catalyst better than what we could be seeing with Russia and China now. Of course, and and much like uh, uh, much like the virus enabled the U.S. to do what they did, and 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 passing the buck on blame uh, for the um, irresponsible monetary policies of the Fed and the, and the poor investment choices of the banks, uh, they will pass the buck and blame this on Russia, uh, and they will blame uh, the fallout on, uh, on someone else other than, than the obvious. But that doesn't sidestep the fact that you have markets in a position that cannot affect, that cannot stand for a rise in interest rates. None of the three pillars of wealth can in this country. And that's really the bottom line here is that what is the seminal moment that, that forces interest rates higher? The Fed has done a great job at holding them down, but that's with the rest of the world accepting dollars and buying treasuries. When the rest of the world looks for an alternative and has no interest in buying our treasuries, in fact, starts to massively dump them and sell them in favor of a gold-backed digital yuan or in favor of something else, that's when it happens and it happens in the blink of an eye and so much like the investing public who thinks that they can be reactionary um they can't you know it's so funny i hear people always say to me you know well you know why gold hasn't done anything yet so why should i buy it well that's the whole reason to buy it because you see the playbook you see where we ultimately end up and you want to do it before it becomes obvious to everyone else just like the big money has been doing with the central banks massively accumulating gold quietly and using the rhetoric and using the, the suppressed COMEX price to run cover for it. And I've been talking this way for years, begging people to understand it, and no one does because the price action hasn't, hasn't validated right. my concerns. But when it happens, it'll be just like nickel last week, where in a matter of minutes, the price explodes by, you know, a magnitude of two or three or whatever it is, it's over. And and that's really, I guess, what I'm kind of getting at, Chris, is we're, we're closer to that moment than we've ever been, unquestionably. And, and you know, yeah, could it happen? Could, could it start tomorrow? Sure. I think we could wake up Monday morning and see the price of gold and silver massively higher. The Russians just eliminated their VAT tax on gold of 20% to their citizens. So, you know, they're telling their citizens to dump dollars and to buy gold and they're they are pushing as the chinese have for years prodding their citizens to into owning gold 
all of this is a form of de-dollarization. And when the, the switch flips, those countries who have prepared for this for years in advance will be miles ahead of the people in this country, most of which wouldn't know a gold coin if it fell on their foot. And when I sell, <laughs> when I, when I sell gold and silver, Chris, to the public, it's not to get rich. It's because it's wealth. Like I said, yeah. that's how of every pandemic, German hyperinflation, Great Depression, and every war, two of them, uh, this, well, God forbid, isn't the beginning of World War III. Let's and hope. this is like what I said about COVID. It's never a problem until you wake up one morning and it's a fucking problem, right? For right. for January 2020, I spent a majority of the month feeling like I was hitting myself in the nuts repeatedly uh, with a brick because... I was crowing about, you know, how this pandemic couldn't possibly wind up only staying in Asia and how it was going to be an exogenous global event and how it was going to shock the markets. And for a month, you know, people bought stocks while the case numbers grew in China and nobody gave a shit. And then you woke up one morning in February or March, whenever it was, and all of a sudden everybody noticed, you know, and this feels like another one of those situations, right? I'm sitting here with Andy Sheckman. We're fucking, you know up on the mezzanine, uh, sipping our beers together and eating a, eating a bowl of popcorn and just kind of watching the show play out, just waiting for the rest of the people to arrive at the theater. And they're just always notoriously late. But when they sit down and they watch the same movie we're watching, and, you know, maybe that movie, uh, some additional chapters take place here over the next couple of weeks, months, um, in response to these sa- uh, sanctions... You know what? What are they going to be left to conclude? They're gonna they're gonna have to conclude the same things that way because they will they will have been bludgeoned in the face with it. Well, and really, what will happen, Chris, is long before that moment happens, there will be no protection left. And you know, I've gotten a lot of shit for this, but publicly, I've been saying for a year and a half that the market will be defined by no product. And if you look at what's happening right now, every major dealer in the country is running out of product. We're doing more business in a day or in a week than we have used to do in a month and um, or months. And so the product is disappearing. I'm a U.S. Mint distributor. Today alone, today, I just sold out of every Silver Eagle that I had. I had 70,000 of them last night. So, you know, and I'm dead serious. We sold uh, uh, one of my one of my outside brokers sold um, 80. 180 bags of junk silver a few weeks ago. I couldn't get bags of junk silver to save both of our lives right now. Uh, the, sovereign, the sovereign mints, sorry about that. The sovereign mints right now are, are, are the model of inefficiency. And this comes with mitigated demand throughout the, the public. You start to see the public wake up and buy this and, and, and look to protecting themselves. I got a phone call last week from one of the largest family offices in the United States. I spoke at their convention in September and he called me and said, I've had half of the people who listened to your presentation said I should have listened to Andy. And they're talking numbers that I've never heard of in this industry ever in 32 years. That is no big deal to them. And I will tell you that it's getting to the point where I'm concerned about nothing else than securing product. Chris, I used to have companies, I used to have the biggest distributors in the world call me up and say, listen, let me just source 50,000 coins, silver coins and 500 gold coins in your vault. I'd say, listen, I don't need them, I'm, I'm flush. But no, they'll say, let's just leave it there. Uh, I'll send it to you. If you need it, you got it. If, 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 if we need it, we'll pay to have it shipped out. I'm like, all right, cool, done. Now 
In order to get product from any of these mints, it's 60 to 90 days in advance at high premiums, paid in full, hedge it, and run logistics for three months. And logistics and trucking has become a nightmare. So getting product after it rotates out is really, really, really hard. And yesterday or the day before, we find that the exchange for physical, which is, for those of you who don't know, if you have a COMEX contract and you want to exchange it for physical on the London Metals Exchange, you can do that. And the banks do that a lot because it it, it blurs the numbers that are being delivered off COMEX. So they buy a bunch of contracts, and instead of standing for delivery on COMEX, they exchange it for physical at the London Metal Exchange, put into their Brinks account over there. Well, the exchange for physical market is 35 cents higher in silver in London than it is in COMEX. Basically, what it's saying is COMEX is breaking. In other words, if we hedge all of our sales using COMEX and all of our inventory using COMEX and we sell out of it, in order to get 1,000-ounce bars or in order to, to, to get product from the sovereign mints who get 1,000-ounce bars to make their coins and, and, and uh, secure them from the London Metals Exchange, they have to pay 35 cents higher than COMEX is listed at. It is the, the market is breaking because the physical demand for delivery is beginning to, um, is beginning to outpace the ability of, of the paper contracts to hold back the price. These are things that you just don't see. So, yeah, we're, we're getting close to that moment, and I really, truly do believe that before this is all said and done, the biggest challenge people will have or face when they have that aha moment there ain't anywhere left to go. There's nowhere left to run. And those of us up on the mezzanine drinking beer and eating popcorn with a pocket full of coins will say, why didn't you fucking listen to us for the last several years when it was so obvious, everything obvious except for the price? And and that's really, really the issue here is that that's why so few people ever really succeed in investing because they wait for that aha moment and it's way too late to get up to the mezzanine because it's shoulder to shoulder on the way up the stairs. Yeah, and listen, you know, normally, and I'm glad you said all that because the reason I contacted you initially a couple of days ago about doing this was because I wanted to know what the physical market looked like versus what the paper market looked like. That was my initial question, so I'm glad that we kind of all circled all the way back to that and that you answered that. Uh, look, I know we're both short on time. Usually, I have you do your spiel at the end of the podcast where – you know, you talk about Miles Franklin and you talk about why you guys are excellent. Today, I want to make a suggestion that hopefully I uh, will get your buy-in on, which is I, I don't want you to make your spiel today because I feel like it would, for some people, it would sully the content of what we just talked about. And I think the content is the most important thing right now. I think there's people that will listen to this whole podcast and if they get to the end of it and, you know, they hear the Andy Schechtman sales pitch, uh, which, by the way, is a great one. And, you know, everybody loves Miles Franklin. Uh, but I, if they hear that, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, look, this guy's just talking his book. I think the matters that we're discussing are, you know, they usurp that. They are far too important for us to, to do that. People that have listened to you before and people can read the podcast description. I'll put your contact info in there. We'll know how to get in touch with you. Um, but I'm, I hope you'll be okay with that for, for Oh, yeah, man, absolutely, dude. I, and I get that. And, and, and the people who say that, it, it bothers me because I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm sincere. And I'm a lot wiser than I am smart. And wisdom comes with experience. I tell that to my kids all the time. I tell my son, you're smarter than I ever was, kid. But 
I'm a lot wiser than you. And, and my what I see comes from dealing in this for 32 years, Chris. And I don't need any sales pitch. I think people know who I am. And long before I knew who you are were uh, and accepting to come on your show, um, you know, I, 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 I liked what you had to say. And in realizing who you've become, I'm just honored to be on your show and, and to align with someone who thinks the way that you do it. It's a great honor to be here. And I'm, I'm always a phone call away when, when in an environment where things are changing so rapidly, uh, I have a feeling there'll be a lot more to say, probably not too far down the road. And I'm always, always thrilled to be part of what you're doing. Yeah, let's catch up very soon. I mean, like next month. All right, let's uh, let's not wait uh, several months just due to the nature of what's going on and and how vital and crucial I think your opinion is. So, thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, brother. Stay well, Chris. All right, bye bye. That thanks, was brother. the one, the only. Sorry, just hanging up there. At the end. I got to time my uh, my ending thing. But the, you know what the problem is? I have to use the bathroom really bad, so I had to cut him off. That was Andy Sheckman. I gotta fucking go. You know, <laughs> that was the one, the only Andy Sheckman of uh, Miles Franklin. Um, and I've said it before on this podcast, uh, and I don't know whether he approves it or not, but, uh, Andy at milesfranklin.com is his email address. If you want to reach out to him, please don't, uh, waste his time with a bunch of nonsense. But if you have an inquiry or something like that, um, you know, Andy at milesfranklin.com, I'm sure he'd try to help you. Although it takes him a couple days to get back to me. Usually, uh, it may take the same to get back to you, but he is, uh, I'm sure a very busy man these days. All right, fools. I'm out of here. Glad we had this discussion today. I thought it was 100% necessary and uh, crucial. So if you can, share this podcast. I've never asked anybody to do that. I never say. As a matter of fact, I encourage people not to share the podcast. But as you know, I'm not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice, and i got to say all those things. But I feel like this one, the uh, the magnitude of the content and the potential consequences of what could be coming down the pipe uh, far outweigh the sales pitch or far outweigh me trying to you know make a joke and say don't share the podcast. Um, I think you should share this one. All right, fools, I'm out of here. Peace.